It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Hey, now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome in, everybody, and you are listening to episode number 118. And, uh, Mike, we are, I don't know, I kind of getting into this a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I feel more basketball season-ish, I guess, than I was even a week ago or five days ago or whenever we did our last podcast. Uh, I, I think that's the best terminology I can come up with. <laughs> Yeah, and we are in uh, mid season. I don't know if we're in mid season form, but it's definitely <laughs> it's back. I'm, you know, it still feels odd. I mean, it's going to feel odd to everyone. Oh yeah, I'm sure the I kids. Mean, I'm, yeah, but, I'm not going to kid myself that it feels anything like normal. But when we did our first podcast, I felt like a complete fish out of water. <laughs> Second one, I was like, eh. and today, just a little bit better. All right. Well, we got, we got the CPS starting up here on Friday, at least some non-con. That'll help uh, get yeah, everything going. That, that's part of it. I mean, again, like I, I, I can't remember. Our first podcast, were they – was it official yet that they were playing? I can't remember. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, so that kind of took a lot of wind out of my sail. Uh, you got to have public league basketball if you're in the state of Illinois. And yeah, you, you, we're going to talk a little bit about that, about the public league's, uh, re-entry into the high school basketball season. And then, uh, and the other news that broke, um, this week, <clears throat> the Chipotle the, classic, the is that Chipotle <laughs> classic. Yes. All right. Um, your initial thoughts when you heard it. I'm kind of naturally a contrarian, if podcast listeners haven't noticed that yet. So my initial thought was, oh, that's cheap. A tournament that predetermines who the... I didn't like it. I'm not going to lie. Um, I've come around on it. You know, it's. I'm glad it's there. Even, like, talking to some of the Notre Dame kids and St. Pat's people after the game last night, you know, having something to look forward to at the end of the season is good. I'm sure it'll be fun for all the teams. I, I just... I don't want us to over, and I'm worried I'm going to do this. I don't want to overemphasize it. You know what I mean? I don't want to make it all this season is about. I feel like that just takes away from all the teams who aren't in it. I don't want to act like it's a state tournament. I want it to just be something really enjoyable that we don't shove too much meaning in. And I feel like in a month, that's not what's going to happen. Well, I think the concept behind it to start with is is terrific. Uh, I just, I, I, you know, I saw some of the feedback and reaction, which has mostly been positive, something to play for, you know, and some negatives that were, well, why aren't there more teams or why isn't this team in it? And, you know, some of those, you know, Rick Malinati put this together and, and the feedback, particularly from the teams, which would be expected is they're pretty ecstatic about it, you know, to be able to tell their kids, the coaches tell their kids, and their fan base is, hey, there's something to play for. I get your point. It's not a state tournament. We know that. I don't think anybody's going to treat it as such. Uh, I, I do think that it gives those eight teams something specifically to play for, which is 
top games, top talent, top teams. You're going to be on ESPN three if you get to the semis and the final. I get your point too about making it bigger than it is. And it is predetermined, predetermined, predetermined of what those teams are. But just from a logistics standpoint, people have to understand why that is the case. Scheduling is a nightmare. So those people that are like, why are they picking eight teams? You know, Rick Malinati did his homework. He, he, he reached out to coaches. He reached out to people like myself. He, he, he got feedback from multiple people, looked at rankings, looked at returning players and, you know, how it's going to shape up in the next two, three weeks. Will one of them flounder and have a bad quote unquote bad season? Maybe right now. I mean, I think it's really cool because they really are. I mean, without question, you know, you can argue some of them, but without question, five or six of them are legitimately the six, five or six best teams right now. You know, maybe you can argue a few of the other ones, but you know, I, I just think it's a positive. Uh, I, I don't see a negative in it. And you just couldn't have more teams in it because of the logistic factor. You can't have a 16 team bracket. You just, the scheduling is a nightmare as it is. The 30 mile radius rule, the, you know, finding the site to, to make all the teams be able to, to play. All that is factored in to those people that were questioning some of those things on Twitter. Um, when the, when the news broke, but you know, I like it. I think it'll be fun. I think it gives those, those, unfortunately only eight teams something to really look forward to. And, and the reaction I've gotten from those coaches when they've talked to their players about it has been, has been pretty good. And, and of course, you know, uh, last night, the debut of no fans in the stands TV, uh, which I was a part of. And, and, you know, it's a streaming opportunity to get more games on uh people that are looking for that can go to on twitter at no fans tv um and you know it's just kind of the the situation we're in you know and yeah trying to make the most of that situation yeah i don't think there's any way that it could have been done any better i mean that's definitely not part of my criticism it's you know almost the best group of teams possible and it should be really good. And I understand that the teams who aren't involved, some of them are upset. And my response to them would be start your own. I think mm-hmm. there's enough out there. I mean, you can put together a group of, you know, Curie, Rolling Meadows, Homewood Flossmoor, Ignatius, Thornton, North Lawndale, Glenbard West, you know, whoever's not from in the CSL, you know, in the other one. And there, it's a very good chance the number one and two teams could come from that, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and then you bring up another logistical problem in terms of, you know, even some of those teams that you mentioned, some of them schedule-wise can't come up with dates uh, because of league championship games. Some of them, their districts are mandating you can only play X amount of games. Some of them are saying that you can't play. You can only play two non-conference games outside. So there's a lot of things that factor into it where I think it might be difficult just based on the, the research that I did on myself, um, where you're going to come into some roadblocks. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be hard to come up with a really quality 18 tournament, to be honest, just because of those things that I mentioned and teams I know that cannot participate or will not. Uh, that, that's, that's the other problem with kind of putting this together, but I'd be interested to see, I, I would like Southern Illinois, like 
The Metro I would, East. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would definitely put something, try to do something like that. Yeah. And I do, I guess, it just seemed like everybody was in the same boat where you didn't get an end of season playoff and that's just how it was for everybody and we had to deal with it. And the fact that eight teams do get it, I don't know. It'll be fun for me and it'll be fun for those eight teams, but for the other 392 teams in our coverage area, I think maybe it takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails. So I, so I get, I see both sides to it, um, for sure. But we'll try not, we've already talked about it a ton and I'm sure we'll be and, talking and about the, it. A ton. And then we move into the public league, yeah. which to me is a complete downer, which is another reason why this developed, to be honest. I mean, yeah, no city uh, tournament. Yeah. There's no city tournament. Yeah. And I thought for sure that if the city played any type of season, I just was, I mean, I might have been head in the clouds. I don't know. I, I just believe there would be a city tournament. In some way, shape, or form where, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of history, tradition. It's that one area. It's not statewide. It's, it seemed like it'd be something that they'd be able to do. They extended the season a week to, you know, but it's not going to happen, but we've still got publicly basketball. Yeah. It's interesting because it, it is in the original guide. Well, the guidelines that still are out there from the CPS, it mentions the a city tournament. Now, I wonder if, for those who aren't aware, the city was supposed to start this week. Now they're not going to start conference until the 25th and the 26th. And that was because, you know, there's the seven days of practice rule. Well, not enough teams were able to get all their players to have physicals in time to get the seven days of practice in to start up this week. So that's why it was delayed back to the 25th and 26th. And I'm wondering if that extra delay meant they couldn't get in the city tournament, that there just wasn't enough. Because it's, it's jam-packed now, you know, mm-hmm. for them, even until their end date on the 19th or 20th or whatever. I do personally, I would have just had the the winners of each red division play. And I would have done everything I could to hype that up, had it at the best place possible, got it yep. on TV somewhere. To me, that's a no-brainer, and it keeps the city championship history alive. And right. it, it makes the regular season exciting. Because you're playing to get there. I mean, to me, it's ridiculous that that doesn't exist right now. It's having that to look forward to and making sure that we had a 2021 city champion. And yes, with no tournament, it's not the same. But the two conference winners playing for a championship, that's legitimate in my mind. Mm -hmm. No, it is. And on a side note, Mike, real quick, I wanted to mention, because you brought this up, the Central Suburban League, Evanston is in that mix of eight teams and announced publicly, Evanston made it a point that they went to their conference and said, Hey, here's an opportunity uh, for our league to be represented in a high profile end of the year tournament. But we are going to make it that the league champion is going to go to that Chipotle uh, class of champions tournament. So now, just what you said, a uh, Glenbrook South, New Trier, Main South, Main South, they are playing for something. Yes, a conference champion, but also representation in that tournament, like a, like a tournament bid. Pretty cool on Evanston's part. Pretty cool for the Central Suburban League South to decide that as well. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. That would kind of, any, drawbacks this has, you know, if that was going on all over, hey, why can't Young and Simeon 
let the, uh, <laughs> let the Red Northwest and the Red South Central rep go. Um, I don't think uh, the organizers probably want to <laughs> chance missing out on Simeon and Young. But, and, and I guess, you know, that could be our, if they both win their conference, that could be a de facto city championship if they meet up in the, uh, title game or semis or however that could. Do you know if it's going to be, how it's going to be seated, Joe? Has that? Uh, not, I mean, it's going to be, well, I, this is not official, but they will be seated, but with the caveat that they will try to at all costs to avoid a Notre Dame St. Pat's first round game or a young Simeon first-round game, that kind of thing. So still to be determined a little bit. Oh, that makes sense. So it'll be seated, but we don't want early rematches. Right. All right. Um, but the CSL loves rematches. They, they like back-to-back <laughs> rematches. <laughs> it's, oh, that's driving me nuts. Anyway, all right, let's get into this. We're going to take a look at the CPS real quick, because we did not mention them at all in um, the season preview podcast, now that they're going. Um, Simeon has already been elevated to number one in the rankings after Notre Dame's loss um, without... And, and we'll stay there another week. Well, I, I is, think, there, is there any way they... Oh, they, they might be playing. They might play on Friday against Western yeah. House. But, I mean, who knows. But And I think it's interesting we're in the third pod. I mean, this team could be so good. I mean, this is basically last year's city champion back. They lose Jeremiah Williams... And they replace him with Isaiah Barnes, and a Michigan recruit, and everyone else is a year older. I mean, that's scary. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there, there. When the season was to begin normally, I mean, I, I kind of thought there were two, three, four superpower teams, and a couple of them were coming from the public league. Yeah, it, I mean that the guard, the backcourt, Avion Morris. Jalen Drain, Jalen Griffith, the sophomore, and then you've got Bynum, the DePaul recruit, Ahmad Bynum. We already mentioned Barnes. Fred Poole, a guy who's a four-year, you know, at least a three-season varsity regular for Simeon. Philip Holmes, Dylan Ingram, some bigs. They also have a, a transfer, a homeschool big, who I hear is quite good. I mean, this team is one of the more talented preseason teams and more experienced preseason teams we've had in a few years, I think. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got depth, they got size. You know, you mentioned guys like Dylan Ingram, and, you know, he's kind of reshaped his body and, and different than you've even seen him from last year. Uh, you know, the, the you know, it's never certain how a high-profile kid mixes in like Isaiah Barnes, but Simeon has kind of been used to you know, yeah. mixing in, uh, high profile kids in the past. So yeah, I mean, I, they, yeah, it, it's, you know, again, you, you think about this team and then you think about what you missed, uh, you know, missing them at Pontiac and missing them in a, in a young Simeon regular season game and missing them in the Chicago elite classic and missing them, uh, in my shootout when sides collide. That's great. Think about that. That great Simeon team. Um, was, was matched up with Evanston. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a loaded team, you know, and they've got depth and uh, that, that guard play that you said, just this multitude of guards, uh, with experience. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the guards that do it for me. We've seen super teams with five and six D1 guys at Simeon and at other places, and we've seen them struggle. You know how that doesn't necessarily fit. This team on paper, it's the opposite. 
you know, they've got the stud high major recruits, but then they've got these actually effective high school basketball guards that work well together. We already know that, you know, we saw them in the city tournament last year in the state tournament. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting bunch. However, I've had numerous coaches, numerous, and several other people tell me that they think Young is better. That from what they saw, you know, over the games that have happened, that Young's length is just too much for most high school teams to deal with. And that sophomore point guard Dalen Davis, who, you know, very highly touted last year, came on strong the second half of the season, is an absolute monster. Uh, we know what Jayshon Thomas, the senior, is. You know, the bigs are, are Grant Newell, who we heard a lot of it last few years, 6'8", Xavier Amos, and then Tyron Slaughter himself raved to me about sophomore Daniel Johnson. He's a transfer from Fenwick. So this is a team, I mean, we didn't, I didn't mention AJ Casey yet. <laughs> Obviously, AJ Casey is there. We know what he can do. So Young is going to have a severe size advantage over almost anybody in the area, in the city. And then that backcourt with Dalen Davis and Jayshon Thomas, there's not a weakness here. You know, they don't really have the experience that Simeon does, but the sky's the limit. Well, you got the number one player in the class, by far the number one player in, in the junior class, A.J. Casey. I think Dalen Davis is, even though he is a pretty well-known, recognized figure in the public league, I think he still remains one of the real, I don't know, overlooked stars. Uh, you know, he, he, he was terrific. He did stuff on the, as a freshman that a lot of other guys did not do that get, get a lot more pub, a lot more hype. I mean, he had some big shots, had some big moments for, for young at times. And they've got guys that Mike, you know, Grant Newell, you, know, you go Casey at 6'8", Newell 6'7". They've got guys that people don't even know about. You know, Marcus Overstreet's a 6'7". Uh, junior, um, Jordan Streeter is a six, five, six, six junior. Uh, you know, they've got guys on the bench that they might get some minutes from this year. In addition to being, you know, a massive front line next year. Yeah. It's a really interesting team. Going to be very fascinating to see how that goes. Because as you said, next year, they're not losing much. Um, I mean, Newell and Thomas, but they got, they got plenty there. Uh, next up is Curie, and I'm not going to lie. I don't really know, okay, what's going on here. But from what we've seen with Curie the last few years reloading, there's a lot to trust here. Nick Owens is back. You'll remember him. He was the point guard with the longer hair. Um, he can score some, and that's a that's just a great place to start. Now, the other key to keep... To remember, he has nine other seniors. That's nine. I was talking to another public league coach, and they're like, wow, he really has nine seniors? And then they were going back, and these are kids who played in, like, the freshman and sophomore city title game, you know, against Simeon. They're not names everybody knows. The only ones you've probably heard of are Phil Berryhill, Jermel Grigsby. I've heard Reggie Ward has come back. He left. Um, so this is going to be a team. And... I know for a lot of CPS coaches, it kind of scares you when you hear that Curie's a team because they've been really effective with that non-kind of star mode over the last few years. I will say, though, that they did have a player of the year level star on those teams, and that doesn't exist this year. So it'll be interesting to see how things go. Yeah, that's what I see the difference as. They've had a, you know, there'll be a Dejon Gordon, um, obviously, that surrounded him with, with, with a nucleus. And, and it's the same like you just said, they've, they've had a guy that kind of stood above the rest, and then they kind of had these terrific role guys. Ramin Hinton obviously was was that guy, and I, 
to what you just said there is, is exactly what I'm getting to here is they don't have the bona fide, uh, put my team on my, sh- on the shoulders, carry them for short stretches, that type of player, uh, right now. Yeah. I mean, those guys were high major D1 players. That doesn't exist now. So we'll, we'll see what they can do. Next up is a team I'm very excited about. And I think it's under a lot of the, under the radar, a lot of places. It's North Lawndale. Their leading scorer is back, Daquan Davis, dynamic lead guard, Larry Johnson, typical North Lawndale player. He's about 6'3", 6'4", but long arms, great rebounder, gets everything in sight, blocks shots extremely effectively. And then they've got Jamal Washington, who was good as a sophomore. He missed all of last year and was hurt. So that that's some experience that they can definitely rely on, but the key is going to be just how good these two highly regarded sophomore guards are. Ronald Chambers and Demarion Watt. Chambers did play a significant amount on varsity last season. Wyatt, um, it's Demarion Wyatt, he did not. I think he might have played a couple games early and then went back down. But they're very highly regarded. They should be ready to do some serious damage this year. And to me, that's kind of just some bonus. With Daquan Davis and Larry Johnson, that's a really solid foundation. And I think North Lawndale could very well wind up being better than Curie this season. I agree. I mean, Chambers and Wyatt, I have high hopes for. Big upsides in both of them. I, I like them both because they both have some point guard skills, point guard abilities playing together. Uh, and they've got some guys, too, that m- might fill in some roles. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the, 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 uh, the backcourt and the perimeter. Uh, but, you know, a guy like Vincent Mays, he's a six foot five, I don't know, 210, 215, big man, big physical junior, you know, just to be a rebounder, rim protector type guy. So if they can get some production out of him and, uh, and, and Larry Johnson's a terrific athlete, six four, uh, great rebounder, very athletic. So it, it's a good blend, good mix. Uh, it, it, particularly if some of the guys with, with some size can get some stuff done for him. Two more teams I want to hit on. Clark um, was in the preseason at number 20. They were elevated to the Red Northwest for this season. And I think they would have been a team, they'd have been on the outskirts, if not for these two transfers they got. But Darius Perryman is a junior, and Cordy Johnson, a sophomore, are back. They both played significant amount amounts of time. Terry Head, the coach, is pretty high on a 6'9 junior, Suleiman Aguiste. But the key here was they got Farragut's two best players, which... Um, it's gonna help anybody. It's, uh, the pair of brothers, um, Michael and Maquan Jones. They are 6'4", 6'5". Don't have your traditional basketball bodies, but they are basketball players. They're winners. They're effective. They're gonna make, they make Clark a nightmare in my mind for anybody. Whether it's Simeon coming in, whether it's Young, they just get it done. They're very effective high school basketball players, and this is a program on the rise, Clark. They're tough and physical. You know, Terry has done that at all of the stops. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he just, uh, re-energizes the program. The influx of talent improves whenever he arrives. And that's where they're at. Perryman is a, a score in the backcourt. You know, what you just mentioned, the addition of the Farica kids though is, is, is just add that toughness and physicality, uh, to go along with Suleiman Ajuste, who's, who's, you know, I've seen a lot of him and, and he's coming along. He's still, you know, he's still raw, uh, slender, moves well. Uh, but it's a nice combination to put some of those, those physical guys next to him. I liked the look of this team last year. I mean, they lost some guys, but 
the style they play, it is that hard hitting, you know, kind of or tempo. They're coming at you. They're deep with waves of guys and they're, they're getting to the basket. And it's, I think it's going to be effective because it, it's just something we don't see. It's always been effective for or, frankly, you know, it's not the way the powers play anymore. And I don't think they're quite as used to dealing with it as they used to be. Um, next up, the, the last team that hit the Super 25, which I have to say, in my mind, it's a bit of a stretch to put a team in like this. But J.J. Taylor, the sophomore, too good. <laughs> too much too much hype around him. Um, it's Kenwood, new coach Mike Irvin, you know, of the, of the Mac Irvin Fire. He's a high school coach now at Kenwood, and he's got J.J. Taylor and Darren Ames, who came over from Morgan Park now that Nick Irvin left. Ames did make a brief stop at Bloom, I believe. And then Davis, is it Lowry? Lowry? Um, Lowry, yeah. From Simeon. So that's a really solid core. The question is going to be what they've got around it. A lot of kids left Kenwood. I talked with Mike Irvin. He wasn't really sure what else he's got, frankly. So we've got really young stars and then a lot of question marks. Yeah, the the inexperienced, I mean, they, they, they've gotten some you know, some experience playing, um, particularly Ames and, and Taylor, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a new spot with new players all blended together, high profile names that on paper look great. And, you know, if they, if they come together, it's just hard to rely on young stars, uh, as opposed to some of these experienced, more experienced teams that we have that are full of juniors and seniors. Yeah, that'll be their stretch. I'm trying to wonder if there's anybody else. I mean, or frankly, I don't have a ton of information on. I didn't hear back from Lou recently. They do have a solid core of guards, you know, that have been around the last couple of years. I've heard there might be a transfer from Texas. Um, but, and we know how good Orr is at bringing in these transfers we don't know from outside. So I certainly would not count them out at any point. The other big question mark was Bogan. I know they mm-hmm. lost some guys. Um, they do have some experience in the backcourt. I did hear some positive stuff about them um, in the, you know, Indiana leagues and stuff. So it sounds like they're going to be a major factor again. Just wasn't sure about putting them in the Super 25 yet. Yeah, I don't think we've had this many questions. You always have question marks with Bogan and Orr because you never know quite who's on the roster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when November rolls around. But uh, this is a little bit more so because – you really don't know what, what's in store at Bogan or, or right now, as opposed, you know, compared to, comparatively speaking to other seasons. All right. Uh, get in our two takes. You want to start us off, Joe? Yeah. My first take is just, uh, we've given some love to the mid suburban league. Uh, Mike and I have both kind of watched and covered a couple of Rolling Meadows games. Uh, you know, the, the, the downside of the mid suburban league is, is a loss of Chris Hodges at Schaumburg, who sat the year out. Uh, you know, because you look at what's going on there with Hodges and Christie, the high scoring of, of Camp Craft at Buffalo Grove, and then kind of the unsung guy, Ethan Roberts at Hersey, who, you know, I was just, you know, last May, I, I, I included him as, uh, one of seven juniors ready to break out in his story. Obviously, summer did not lend itself to kids breaking out. Uh, you know, he was one of the top unsigned seniors in a, in a story I wrote in, in December. And he is looking the part of both of those in the early going, Mike. Look, look at these numbers. Okay. And I had 34, 35 last night against Buffalo Grove. I think he had a game of 42 earlier. 
I think they've played five or I think it's five games, five or six, four or five. Anyway, 30.9 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 4.2 assists a game. He's shooting 59% from three. <laughs> Whoa. 25 out of 42. It's not like he's, you know, made seven or eight. He made seven last night against Buffalo Grove. You know, I, I liked him. La- I went and saw Hertz. He played two times second half of last season. You know, he moved in last year it was his first year in Illinois. I, I believe he came from Tennessee. I'm not Tennessee, Kentucky somewhere. Anyway, uh, at the end of the year, he just did what he's doing right now. In his last five games of last season, you know, he, he averaged like 13 a year, 13 a game for the year, but his last five games last year, he averaged 25 points a game. So that just kind of screamed, okay, this kid's ready to take the next step. You know, he's getting some low division one interest, division two mostly. I felt like he was kind of overlooked. Uh, by some division one schools because he's a scorer. Yes. He's got great size at six, four, and he really could see the floor has instincts for passing the basketball. So I, I just think he's, you know, everybody always asks these questions. How many players would, you know, and I always say there's not that many that have been gotten the shaft by this pandemic as far as the numbers totally when yeah. it comes to scholarships, he might be one of them. And hopefully this is what is so important, why this season could be played. And I got a text literally as we started this podcast from a mid-major coach who texted me and said, hey, um, ask me about Ethan Robbins, whatever, and just started to break down his high school or some film on him. So to get this this film is important for a lot of kids whether it be 12, 15, 16-game season. Uh, and he's kind of a microcosm of all that is the good and the plus when it comes to individual players in this condensed small season. Making an all-area push. Ethan Roberts, the uh, Hersey is actually – no, they're hosting Rolling Meadows on Friday. So mm-hmm. get, that should be a good one. Though. I've already seen Rolling Meadows. Right. Times, I said so. – <laughs> I told Coach Scott that about, I said, ah, man, I can't go see Meadows a third time in three weeks. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I did watch the Hersey Glenbrook South game. Um, so I did get to see Roberts play. Um, he mm-hmm. was excellent in that one for sure. My first take is on Scotty Abube. I love a big man. I've always loved a high school basketball big man. I don't think they get enough, uh, I don't know what the word is, credit or people don't realize how important they can be when they are this good. And boy, Notre Dame realized it on Sunday. They just, you know, Notre Dame's got some size. Louis Lesbon and Troy D'Amico are big guys, but they could not handle, you know, the true post force that is Scotty Abube. He's 6'9". He's going to Southern Illinois University. And, I mean, he's the difference for Mundelein. They lost that game, you know, to Lake Forest when he wasn't playing yet. I think he had a some kind of minor foot injury or whatever. But he's back now, and he makes – he really makes you wonder just how far this Mundelein team goes. You know, I didn't elevate them a ton after that win against Notre Dame because Anthony Sales wasn't playing. But looking at that Chipotle Classic, I mean, besides for Young, who's going to be able to have anybody that that can even check Scotty Abube in any way? 
Now there is there is a weakness <laughs> to the the post Superman here, and that's going to be his free throw shooting. He was just two for seven from Notre Dame. I've seen him have good games with that though, like really good ones. So it must be a streaky type thing. He had twelve points, fourteen rebounds against Notre Dame, and he's efficient from the field. He doesn't need a lot of touches to get his points. I think he was four for six, four for seven, you know, from the field to get his points. I could see in the future, if the free throw shooting doesn't improve, maybe people are going to try and get him to the line. But, man, in that league and with their schedule, he's going to be a force, and I think he's going to be a guy that people are going to be surprised about in that Chipotle Classic. Look at you hyping the Chipotle I know. I, I told you this is what I was worried about. I knew I was going to do it. Two mentions already in the uh, sky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was going to stop you the first time, but I'll just like, go and say it again. Uh, no, yeah, he he's really, you know, he came on big as a sophomore, a really productive sophomore year, and, uh, you know, he, he he's a rarity. I mean, he's a big body, on the block, big man, that traditional, that you don't, don't get see. to see every yeah. time. So uh, my, my take, my second take is, you know, we were both at, the Notre Dame Pats game. No, I'm just going to do two takes on this one take. Uh, the, the first one is, is Notre Dame. You know, I, I, we saw Notre Dame at its best last year in a stretch where they looked incredible. They were a 3A. They were a class 3A favorite. They would have, they were my 3A pick to win it all. They were on their way to, to get into Peoria before COVID, you know, ruined it all. I, they are not, um, the, you know, and I'm not saying they can't be, but they are not, the, they're not number one anymore. Mike, you, 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 you drop them and they're not the number one team. They are not the best team right now. They are not playing what they were playing last year at their highest level. And there's a lot you can say. The reason why, you know, sales missed the first, you know, several games. Uh, he came back last night, played, played pretty well. Uh, you know, they didn't have the summer. They were off, you know, they didn't have their typical fall. All of those are factors, but they are not the team right now that, you know, all of us thought they would be and expected to be. And it's not being critical of them because, well, it is being critical, but it's also just pointing out there's just a lot to be learned going forward with these teams. And I hate to do this to you, Mike, you know, between now and the Chipotle class. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, I believe that they will get there. I, I just think they're too good. They're too experienced or too talented. You know, they, they eked out a win last night against St. Pat's and St. Pat's is a very good team. That's a good road win. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just saying their ceiling at Notre Dame is so high. It's going to be hard to reach it because of the circumstances. Uh, they aren't there yet. And I just think they are going to blossom at some, the light's going to come on at some point and you're going to be like, okay, that's the Notre Dame team. Uh, we've been waiting to see. They, they lost a couple of valuable, you know, Jason Bergstrom, the, the role player last year, hit some big shots for them. Uh, my second little thing about this game is last night, Mike was the first game. I think I've been at three, four games live and a bunch of stream games. It was the first game I truly felt like I was, I, I know, a game? Yeah. Far, yeah, a far cry from a normal St. Pat's yeah. Notre Dame game. If anybody's ever been to one or watched one, 
it's electric. The fans are, it, it's one of the top games of the year, regardless of what year you're talking. And it wasn't that, obviously. But it just felt there's some intensity in there. Uh, there was a competitiveness. There was a little bit of chippiness here and there. You know, the, the, the crowd, maybe it was because of the gym. It's a, you know, it's a kind of a cool, smaller gym, uh, that can get loud with few people. I, I just felt like, I felt like I was at a high school, like a traditional high school basketball game, just minus the crowd more so than anything I've seen thus far. Yeah. And I, and, and I felt maybe that's why I'm a little bit more recharged about the season a little bit. Uh, I'd love to get a few more of those types of games. The rivalry is going to bring that out. Uh, the, you know, they are playing for that. They got history, you know, between those two. Yeah. I'm on a roll here and that's helped, but you see, that's the problem. You just don't know. Like, Lockport Juliet Central was a morgue. It was a nightmare. Um, just really tough. Maybe 12 people there in that huge gym. But now I'm on a roll. The Rolling Meadows St. Rita game, it felt like that. You know, the, it was a big win for Rolling Meadows. They needed it. And with the young kids at St. Rita, you know, they were up for it. Then I had the, uh, Notre Dame Mundelein game. That was, felt very much like the Notre Dame Pats game. So I've had three in a row now. Knock on wood, which have been pretty good. And so it gets you going. But yeah, there have been several this season where it's, it's tough. Um, and I guess I think that's just the way it's going to be. You know, different places are letting different amounts of people in. That's just the way it is. A lot of schools aren't going to have the sophomore teams in. And when the sophomore teams are in there, it makes a difference. You know, sophomore teams and I'm a big music guy. I like my music. Oh yeah. I, with, with an empty gym, you got to have some music. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's more I, between quarters, halftime, something. Just got to get some noise in there. My, you know, I guess I wanted to talk about Notre Dame a bit. Um, I the, the key, I think, for Notre Dame uh, is they understand that they're not number one right now. You know, that they're not playing to their, you know, potential, which you'll see a lot of teams. I'll go in that locker room after I bump them out of number one. And they're, they're mad. They don't understand it. You know, disrespect. Yeah. They think they're great. You know, no matter how they're playing, that's never a good sign. This Notre Dame team to a man is aware that they're not where they should be. And that's the only way you're going to get to where you should be is if you know you're not. Troy D'Amico knows that he's not, you know, his shot is off. You know, we talked about that and you can see positives. Yes. They're not like they were last year. However, Louis Lesmond is, he fits in better. He's more just involved with everything. He's becoming a much better player for them, you know, than I maybe thought he was going to be this year. I was a little worried after how things went last year. So if, if that stays and Troy D'Amico, which he will, you know, he's going to find himself again. You know, Anthony Sales gets, you know, going again more consistently. And yeah, the, as you said, the ceiling is there. I, I agree with that 100%. And if anything, in a weird way, I'm higher on them now than I was, even though they're not playing as well, particularly because of the Lesmond. I think he's become a much, much bigger positive force than he had been previously. Yeah, I, but I just kind of – I think Louis kind of got a bad rap, to be honest. I mean, consistency, I'll agree with you, but, I mean, he did lead them in scoring last year. But he got a technical um, like every other game. <laughs> and okay, at crucial but, moments, you know, <laughs> generally. And then I, you, you continue to kind of his evolvement from moving from France to uh, playing at Evanston, you know, a smaller role on a really good state 
you know, qualifying team and then moving to Notre Dame. You know, I, you know, I just think that was kind of going to be is an inevitable that that process. And I'm looking through it as the evaluator, um, you know, upside and, and all the tools you see and seeing them over and over and over again. He is so talented, man. I mean, he's got size. He's got versatility. He's got sneaky athleticism. But yeah, you're right. I mean, what I will agree with what you're saying is he looks way more engaged on a every possession basis than or a more possession basis than we than we've seen in the past. Yeah, he's no longer a guy. I think last year it's fair criticism that when his shot wasn't falling, he wasn't always bringing a lot, mm-hmm. and that's not the case anymore. I mean, he was guarding Connor Enright, you know, in the Mundelein game. He's rebounding. He, he's just he's everywhere now, and yeah, I've been really impressed as someone who wasn't you know, super high on him as a high school player, to be frank. I think he's been one of the most improved players, if not the most improved player I've seen so far this season. Um, and what a huge, huge recruit for Harvard. Yeah, definitely. Um, great English, too. Man. <laughs> if I could speak his second language as well as he speaks uh, English, I'd be very impressed with myself. No surprise he's going to Harvard. Uh, my uh, number, my second take, this, this Joe, this has been, it's been grinding at me. Uh, during the Rolling Meadows St. Rita game, I must have written four different tweets just ready to blow up James Brown, the St. Rita freshman, as just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then I deleted them. <laughs> I was like, calm down. Plenty of time for this. Don't get too... I mean, I watched St. Rita's first game. He's James Brown. He's, uh, what do they call him, 6'8 now? 6'9"? Uh, mm-hmm. Um... He's the number one freshman in the class. Everybody knew this. It's not news to a lot of people that he's really good. I watched the Providence, the opener on the stream, and he played well. Um, but that's weird. You know, the St. Rita stream was way up high, and who can tell anything on the stream? Boy, in person, watching this freshman big man play, he had 15 points, 8 rebounds, 6 for 8 from the field, and he made his free throws, 3 for 4. I, oof. And he stuck that, you know, he stuck that like 12 foot mid-range baseline, the baseline jumper. jumper. Oh yeah. And, and oh. you know, I mean, yeah. those are things big men don't do, let alone big men who are freshmen. His second game. <laughs> was you know, his and, second you know, I saw game. a lot of him as an eighth grader, to be honest. Out, you know, he played his eighth grade basketball out in Oswego. Uh, and I mean, it was clear as day. I mean, he's, you know, he's, uh, I, I still remember talking because I was texting college coaches while I was watching him. Uh, and I, you know, the first time I watched him, I couldn't figure out, you know, eventually it was clear as day, but if he was left handed or right handed. And for an eighth grader at that time and a big man, uh, it took me several minutes to figure out if he was left handed or right handed. And right there, as, you know, from an evaluator's eyes, it's like, Okay, wow. Um, and He's left-handed, he was, right? Yeah, and he was already, he's already six, I don't know what it was, six, five, six, six at the time. So yeah, I mean, it takes a while for big men to develop, but he is going to develop sooner than later because of that, that, you know, that skill that he does already possess. Yeah, very impressed. A lot of times I'll see these, you know, number one, number two eighth graders come in and it's kind of like, eh. I don't know. I mean, I'm very often wrong about this. I was not impressed by Ryan Boatwright <laughs> as a freshman. I, remember, I went to his debut, and 
I was like, eh. You know, became one of the most electric players I've ever covered. Shows what I know. Um, but James Brown, he passed all of the tests. He was, and he's already, I mean, you talk about the late developments. He's already 15 and 8 against a ranked team in his, you know, second game ever. It, it's something. I yeah. could spend the, we, I guess we should mention the other kids. Um, well, Moraz Johnson, yeah. I mean, I, I, he, he's, I, I'm just telling you, he, he is right there. Um, uh, whether what, what he showed, what he hasn't showed doesn't matter. He, you know, he's a six, six freshman. <clears throat> I, I, I think his ceiling is ridiculously high. Yeah. He's, um, you, you saw the moments from him for sure. Um, looks like a spectacular athlete. Yeah. Uh, and you got, you got Pickett, Joshua Pickett and, uh, Jaden Reyna are two other perimeter guys that are freshmen. So yeah, it's been a heralded group. I, we, we had a story in the Sun Times about that, you know, uh, this past fall and, or maybe it was late summer. I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's as good of a freshman group as we've seen. I mean, it's the best in Illinois right now. Um, I mean, outside of a public league freshman, I, I was struggling to even come up with that many on a public league team. I mean, I'd have to go back to a old Simeon team or a, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a Simeon team that had a group of freshmen. I'd have to put the classes together to, to, to figure it out, but, uh, I was just speaking of, you know, whether it be Catholic, suburban, whatever, freshman group. I mean, that's. But I mean, I guess, and starting on varsity is my thing, which is where Simeon wouldn't. Right. Have. Right. I had to go back to the Lincoln Park team, I think. Yeah, that, that, that part is true. I yeah. just, you know, from an evaluate, evaluation standpoint of, of top ranked kids in one group coming in together, it, it, that's, whether they're starting or not, that, that group is... Is rare. Yeah. It, it's rare on all the levels. Yeah, the last time we had a group starting on varsity that I really remember, and the Lincoln Park kids weren't as highly ranked, but it was um, Juice um, and... Thompson. Uh, yeah, Michael Thompson. Oh, the Montgomery brothers. Yeah. Those two. And there might, I think there might have been a fourth. Um, but yeah, they kind of came up and went through all their growing pains <laughs> together on varsity. Uh it was a fun team to watch for a few years. All right. Uh, I guess that's it, huh? We'll get into the weekend preview? Yeah. Um, well, I guess week, weekend preview, everything's such a mess. Um, you guys will be listening to this, so I'm going to put it up on Wednesday. Um, there are all kinds of rescheduled things, so I don't even know. You know, check Jack Leeson's website, hsbball.com. I'm trying to, to put together something. my first weekend forecast. Uh, we'll see, see if that can come together between now and Friday. Yeah, it's. I just got a text, I think, from St. Rita about what, what their schedule is going to be for the weekend. Everything's in flux. It's a big mess, mix mess. I don't even know where I'm going Thursday. I wanted to go up to North Chicago and uh, check them out. Kamari Wilson's there. They're playing Grays Lake Central, and that I just looked about an hour before the podcast. Now that, that one's got postponed, so I don't know which program is out. Thornridge and Keys postponed, so I don't know where I'm going to go. I might. Just watch a stream somewhere Thursday. Um, looks like Thornton is at Rich, which would be Thornton's season debut. So that would be an interesting one um, for sure. Hopefully there'll be a stream of that somewhere. Friday's got some good games. St. Ignatius at DePaul, which I believe will be live streamed for sure. Yeah, um, that'll be uh, yeah, and the no fans and the stands TV. We'll bring that one. You can check that one out. Um, Glenbrook South is at New Trier. What a start! Glenbrook South is off to. Mm-hmm. I mean, look out! Uh, Wabonzi Valley at Nequa Valley. Really good one uh, out there in the DuPage. I have not decided on Friday. That's a top contender for me. We talked about Rolling Meadows at Hersey. 
then you got Fremd at Barrington. Two schools off to great starts. Fremd jumped in the rankings. Barrington could have been right there as well with their start. Oak Park is at Downers Grove North. Oak Park opened the season with a, a win last night. Then Northridge Prep at Chicago Christian. Chicago Christian's got a good squad this year, and as we learned from Joe's series, Northridge Prep is always good, and we should be <laughs> talking about them a lot more. So that's one to keep an eye on. And this one popped up on the schedule, um, which I guess means it's happening, or is that Christ the King on Friday night, which would be the first public league team to play. Um, and Young is at Taft on Friday for sure. I don't have a time on that yet. And there might be a Westinghouse Simeon game. We're waiting to hear on that. Saturday, it is rivalry day in the Duquesne Conference. Are you ready for this rivalry lineup, Joe, in the Duquesne? St. Charles North at St. Charles East. Batavia at Geneva. And Wheaton North at Wheaton Warrenville South. It is. I was hoping you weren't going with the big Lake Park Lombard North rally. <laughs> yeah, it is lined up there in the Duquesne. Three, <laughs> yeah. uh, three big ones. Um, we, we of course have the new Trier Glenbrook South rematch from the night before. I can't tell you how much I despise this show. <laughs> I understand why they're doing it. It, it, but it's driving me nuts. Um, Barrington is at Rolling Meadows. Big weekend for Barrington, I guess, with Fremen and, and Meadows. And then I'm, Almost definitely, hopefully, going to be at this one at noon. Glenbard West at Lions. Yeah, I'll be there with you. Yeah, that is going to be exciting. College prospect-wise and high school team-wise should be good. Nice noon start. And then the big one, Notre Dame is at Fenwick at 6. I feel like I, I've already covered Notre Dame three times, so I feel like I can't go to that one. Um, but that will be streamed <laughs> as well. Everybody can watch that. should be uh, one of the better games of the year, I would guess. Also, Young is at Mount Carmel, I'm hearing. Maybe around five-ish, working on that. I might go check that one out after the uh, the Lions game. Nothing huge of note. Sunday we do have some Duquesne. Just more Duquesne action. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're getting back at So I haven't looked at the extended schedule. Are they playing every Sunday? I know they did last Sunday. I don't have an extended schedule either, it seems like. <laughs> but yeah. so Back-to-back Sundays of Duquesne basketball. Yeah, it's uh, not too bad. I did notice that the – I'm sorry, I can't get over this rematch thing, but the Maine South, Glenbrook South – Scores from Friday and Saturday night last weekend were literally the same. Um, I, I think it was like, instead of being in the 60s, it was in the 50s or whatever, but it was like the same point differential. It's like they just did it again. I, I, I don't un- Oh, sorry. It drives me nuts. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we are in the flow here. We even got Joe back in the flow, ready to go. We got some big games in the CPS starting up on the horizon. The season is hitting its stride, and we will be back next week.